Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. I'm Mallory Wilson. I'm Megan DeLucine. And this is Buried Bylines. I literally woke up today, I started researching this case, and then that's all I've done today. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was my I last thought. Week. Okay, so here's the thing is, I thought, because I'm covering an unsolved case, that it mm-hmm. there wasn't going to be that much to it. It always starts like that. <laughs> and then it was like, the more I was researching it, the more I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> You're like, shit, now I'm too deep. I'm so deep. And so, <laughs> okay. here we are. I have a question for you. Yeah. If you had to pick the true crime era... What would you say? I'd say like 70s or the 20s. 70s or the 20s. That's what I think a lot of people would say the 70s. And that's what I would say. A lot of serial killers were active through the decade. And that's when police started really investigating crimes differently. Like they were looking at the psychology behind criminals and killers. And I was just curious because today's case is taking us back to June of 1979 which is I feel like the heyday yeah so it (laughs) kind of brought me back (laughs) it brought me back as if I lived in that time but right this case is also highlighted by Indiana State Police as one of the most prolific unsolved cases in central Indiana Hmm. I'm gonna be walking through the murders of Marianne Higginbottom and Timothy Willoughby. This case takes place in Mooresville, Indiana, which is southeast of Indianapolis, but it's technically in Morgan County. Around 7 p.m. on June 5th, 1979, the Morgan County Sheriff's Department was called to the area of White Lick Creek near the end of Sycamore Lane. 18-year-old Richard Mallet had spotted a 55-gallon drum floating in the water. The lid of the drum had been welded shut, but Mallet must have been very interested in figuring out what was inside because he was the one who called police, letting them know he found a body. Oh, before even seeing inside of it. No, he decided to take... A carpenter's hammer to the top of the barrel. He probably regrets that decision based on what he found. Yeah. So Well, we didn't know better back then. No, we were just, I mean, I still feel like people don't know better. I feel like you wouldn't open a barrel that's welded shut that you find in the woods or wherever. (laughs) In the creek. (laughs) In the creek, in the woods, wherever. If it's in a location that's not like a factory, I feel like you don't touch it. I wouldn't touch it, but that doesn't mean other people won't. (laughs) That's true. There's a lot of idiots. And it was the 80s, so like anything in it, almost the 80s. (laughs) So Inside the drum was a corpse so decomposed, police couldn't determine if it was male or female. Yikes. Right off the bat, officials 
obviously expected foul play, but uh-huh. said the number of clues were slim. They were able to determine the body had been inside the barrel for at least three months. Police sent the body to Wishard Memorial Hospital, now known as Eskenazi, for a full report. The goal now to identify the victim. Right. Eek. Eek. (laughs) Less than two weeks later, the Indianapolis News published the answers the community had been looking for. The victim inside the barrel had been identified as 21-year-old Mary Ann Higginbotham, a young waitress working in Plainfield. The article says Mary Ann had been identified through dental records. They also subtly mention that she had been missing for an entire year. Awesome. I feel like you lead with that. Like, that goes in the headline. Mm-hmm. So, apparently, Marianne and her live-in boyfriend, Timothy Willoughby, disappeared in early June of 1978. Mm-mm. And... Unfortunately, the focus of the article wasn't completely on Marianne, the victim whose body had just been found stuffed inside a barrel. Instead, police and the media were pushing for answers about Timothy. They wanted to know where he was and if he had anything to do with his girlfriend's murder. Morgan County Sheriff Richard Allen said they tried to hold off on identifying Marianne to the public because they wanted more time searching for the boyfriend. Allen said Marianne and Timothy were living together in a house in Clayton, but a year after their disappearance, someone else had moved in officials still tried to canvas the area but the new residents weren't home at the time so basically like they were renting this house they disappeared for a long time and uh, the people who own the house were like we still have to get our bag so someone else moved in and that's okay I was gonna ask about that because it seemed like I was like how do you know that the body had been in there for three months without identifying the body so it seems like they held back that piece of information yeah there are, you will come to find out when I'm going through that there is a lot of confusing like back and forth on okay. this investigation and down to its core like the timeline and what people thought was very messed up so yeah <laughs> but I mean it does make sense that their focus is on Timothy because my mind goes to well yeah he killed her and then like skip town. We're going to keep going and we'll run through your thoughts because a lot okay. of people thought the same thing. So All right. Perfect. Sheriff Allen said at this point in time, Timothy was being treated like a suspect. However, he did recognize that it is plausible Timothy met the same fate as Marianne. He told media that if they couldn't locate Timothy alive, they would begin searching the creek. So now is where I circle back to some details that I was able to piece together about Marianne and her killing and the dumping of her body and all of the red flags. So the report from the Indianapolis News stated Marianne's parents were out of the state when they got the news about their daughter's death. Sheriff Allen said the parents were told someone reported Marianne missing to police in Hendricks County. At least one police officer remembers the missing person's report being filed, except 
There was not a single article or mention that I could find about Marianne's disappearance until after her body was found. So put a pin in that. Okay. Forensic pin. pathologist. Yeah, pin. <laughs> per, uh, forensic pathologist John Plus said Marianne's body was fully clothed when it had been stuffed into the barrel. She was shot in the back of the head with a small caliber gun. And I mentioned that she was identified through dental records. Plus said Marianne had distinctively large teeth that were easy to match with x-rays. We don't need to know that. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. I mean, it's a good thing. He was able to like know, very you easily match her. It. <laughs> I thought Leave it was interesting. Alone. <laughs> but <sighs> as for the barrel she was found in, because that is evidence too. Plus said it originated from a Cleveland firm and once contained a powder or a chemical. Something that has to be noted and is very frustrating. Residents in Mooresville came forward after this discovery saying some of them noticed the barrel in the water in early April, but never reported it. What the fuck? I know the slogan, like, see something, say something, didn't become popular until, like, 2000, but Jesus Christ, like... Have you read a crime novel? Is that not a red flag that a random barrel is just, like, floating in the water for months and... What the fuck? Naturally, police began interviewing friends and family about Marianne's life and her relationship with Timothy. On June 15th, the Indianapolis News reports that divers searched in and around the creek to see if they could find any of Marianne's belongings. Longings. They didn't find anything this time, but they did reveal that apparently personal property of Marianne's was found around the same time she went missing near a bridge in Cattersburg, which is near the creek where she was found. So okay. Cattersburg is like the halfway point between Clayton, where she lived, and Plainfield, where she worked. Okay. The article says investigators were, quote, later told Marianne went to California. So it seems friends and family members all believe that Marianne had moved, and that's why no one was worried about her disappearance. Officials say they didn't know Marianne was missing until her items were found near the creek. They obviously found that suspicious, so they reached out to family and friends who indicated she may have moved out of state. Question. Oh, okay. I raised my hand and she said, oh, no, go ahead. No, don't, because I'm going to rattle through all of this because okay. none of it make, I know none of it makes sense, okay? Okay. I know okay. none of it makes sense. So <laughs> after police were told that she might have moved out of state, they didn't pursue a search for Marianne. So this is contrary to initial claims from police, but Sheriff Allen said on June 16th in 1979 that a missing persons report was never filed for Marianne Higginbotham. He said that was because of the lack of concern from her loved ones and also her age because she was 21 and could fully make the decision to disappear or leave if she wanted to. But... A couple of days after that statement was published, Marianne's mom, Norma, denied the reports that she failed to notify police about her daughter's disappearance. She said she reported Marianne missing to Hendricks County Police, which they said they remembered a report being filed. Right. So I'm not really say. sure what to believe here. It makes me wonder if police were trying to cover up their tracks a little bit about inefficiency in investigating but in a later article 
1980, Norma provided more context about the whole California thing. She said when Marianne was 18, shortly after meeting Timothy, the two took off west and stayed in California for a while. But Marianne always called or wrote to her mother. In 1977, the couple returned to Indiana and Marianne visited her parents often. When Marianne disappeared the following year, her family just assumed she went back to California because she had quickly left last time. They thought, oh, she just picked back up and left again. But then Norma didn't hear from Marianne like she had the last time and started to get worried. And I think we have to live in the context that this is the 70s. I know. And things were different. Yeah. Yeah, I still don't like it, but yeah. In that June 16th article, we also learned a little bit more about Timothy, who at the time was not being named by police. So in all of these articles, he was just being referred to as her boyfriend, but they didn't name him. They said Marianne's boyfriend could have skipped town. He did already have a warrant out for his arrest for jumping bond, which just means he bailed out of jail, but failed to appear in court afterwards. What he bail out of jail for? Are you going to tell me? I am going to tell you. Okay. Sheriff Allen said he believed Timothy was originally arrested for theft and arson. And when I looked into this, it looks like he allegedly stole a car and then lit it on fire. Awesome. I You're know. a grown-up at all. Don't do that shit. Yeah. And it sucks because as we go through the rest of this, you will see how his court record stacks up against him in a very negative way, and it's kind of sad. But Hendricks County officials confirmed Timothy was arrested, but wouldn't discuss the circumstances of the charges. But in a later article, the Indianapolis News confirmed Marianne's boyfriend was indeed Timothy Willoughby, who was arrested and charged for theft and arson in May of 1978, about a month before the couple went missing. Not a great look. (laughs) No, no, it's not. On the same day, the Reporter Times in Martinsville dropped a very short but very juicy article regarding the murder case. The headline reads, Victim's lover was threatened. Whoa. I know. A fellow body shop employee of Timothy Willoughby's had allegedly threatened to kill him after he had angered him. It seems police had begun investigating a tip that Marianne was not the intended victim for this crime. Police believed it was possible whoever killed Marianne that their real target was Timothy. Okay. This is when police officially start moving away from the idea that Timothy could be the suspect. They haven't officially given up on it, but they're starting to think more that he could also have been killed. And they began searching the creek to see if they could find his body. Yeah, I don't know why they waited to do that. I don't either. Just do it. Just cover your bases. They're going to take just a threat from an employee and they're like oh no okay that means he's not the murderer he's now dead okay cool we'll search the creek like like why can't we do both things why can't we look for him alive and also look for him dead correct because i guarantee you in Hendricks county at the time there were not a ton of murders happening so what else are you doing uh yeah that's sketchy yeah Well, after that article came out, I was surprised to see, I don't know, I felt like it was kind of a salacious article from the Indie Star on July 1st. It kind of seemed like an expose highlighting Timothy's track record with law enforcement, auto theft, arson, 
traffic violations. They even picked him up a few times for hitchhiking, which I didn't know was illegal, but apparently it is in the state of Indiana. Everybody and their mother was hitchhiking back then. I know, but it's illegal in the state of Indiana, the more you know. Well, so was buying alcohol on Sundays until a couple years ago. So that's that's how progressive we are. You're not wrong. They also spoke to some neighbors who claim Timothy beat Marianne. Hmm. But I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, of just neighbors trying to get in on the headlines. Yeah, and that's kind of hearsay. And they openly published police theories about reasons why Timothy would kill his girlfriend. That's not good. I know. I don't know. It just kind of felt like they were pushing to make Timothy the murderer. But in reality, like, we have no idea where he is or if he was also killed. Right. We wouldn't do, well, I can't say we wouldn't do that because some news outlets would. If there's two missing people, one person's found dead, they're going to dig into the record the criminal record of the person that they haven't found yet so i mean i will say there have been cases where we have done similar things or i've seen other tv stations do similar things because here's the thing part of it is you you have to give people the full story like this is the truth i'm less mad about the stating like his crime record because that's That's public knowledge anybody can look that up i'm more unsettled by the publishing of the theories you should not do that yeah and now you're you're messing with the investigation as a journalist which you should not do yeah and oftentimes when we're talking about police records and criminal records like we're talking about suspects who have already been tracked down by police and they've right to them like and our name been missing for a year and we don't know where he is or if he's alive And he can't really, like, there's nobody here to stand up for him. To defend him, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yikes. I just didn't like it. I don't like it either. Four months went by without a mention of Marianne's murder in the newspaper. It wasn't until late November when her name was mentioned again. The article was actually about Norma, her mom, joining an anti-crime group. The group was pushing for reforms in the bail bond system, which, if you remember, Timothy was wanted for skipping out on his bail. So this Mm. leads me to believe that Marianne's mother also believed that Timothy was responsible for her death. And remember that article that I mentioned from 1980 where Norma went into more depth about the timeline? Yes. Well, she has her own theories in this article. She said Norma believes her daughter was murdered inside the home that she was renting. (laughs) This quote is going to blow your mind. Because talk about bearing the fucking lead. Norma said, quote, the carpet they found in the barrel was the same carpet that was missing in the house. Okay. I was going to be like, how did you know that, girl? This is the first I'm hearing about this carpet. Right. What the fuck? Yeah, that should... She goes on to say, quote, there was blood on the carpet and that's why they put it in the barrel, I think. There was also rope and some plastic and a bedspread, which was identical to the bedspread she had. How does she know all this? I'm sorry, what? And do you not feel like this is a bombshell of new evidence that's being put out there that we have not heard about? Right. So that's why it makes me hesitant to trust this because I feel like 
this is stuff that police told her. And and um, I low-key feel like she was just like, fuck it. I'm going to put it out there. It could be, but usually police do not tell the family things like that. But I don't know. That's, yeah, it's, since it's the first time we're hearing it. Oh, it was, I remember, this was because they had been given items back. Bloody items? I don't, I wouldn't say items, like, like, bloody items, I don't know, but she said that they had, they had been given some of her items or things that she was found with back to them after she was pulled out of that. Okay. That's where this came from, because I was like, she did say something about getting stuff back. Oh, that's very weird that's very i feel weird about it i don't know why because it could be something police said to her yeah all of this is very unsettling to me three more years would go by without a mention of the case in local newspapers until may 21st of 1983 when out of the blue an arrest is made okay (laughs) the indianapolis news reports that 27 year old ronald tomasic was arrested by Indiana State Police for Marianne's murder based on evidence presented to a grand jury. Naturally, officials would not elaborate on what that evidence was. The next day, the Indianapolis Star reported a second man was wanted in connection to the murder. Officials believed Ronald Tomsick and James Kellum killed Marianne and likely Timothy because Timothy was thinking about ratting on the two men and their involvement in an auto theft ring. Okay, I was going to say from the very start, the barrel and the back of the head shot seemed very mobstery to me and crimey to me. Okay, yeah. all right. State police say because Timothy had warrants of his own, he thought giving up Ronald and James to police could help his case. A good theory. There were even reports that Timothy was blackmailing the two men for money, and if they didn't pay up, he was going to go to police. Ooh, never do that. Yeah, Allegedly not great. Not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Another huge development from this Indie Star article was that police got a call from an informant with this information that led to the arrest. So this is really when police changed their impression about Timothy and dropped him as a suspect. They believe Marianne was killed essentially because she knew too much. Okay. The informant told police they couldn't live with the mental burden of this information anymore. Police said the details provided could have only been known by someone who had access to the killers. Do they elaborate? Later... I have elaboration. Okay, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. (laughs) In July of 1983, Ronald Tomasek was freed from jail. The Indianapolis News reports his request for a speedy trial was not honored. The trial was set for late July, but prosecutors asked for a continuance, pushing it back to October. That new trial date would exceed the statutory 70-day limit for a speedy trial request. Pause, but then the judge just says, I'm not granting you the continuance. That's what I thought, too. Okay. But I think the prosecutor said he knew by doing that that he was gambling. That's weird. Yeah, because... This whole case is weird. Everybody has the right to a speedy trial. But if you enact a request, if that's not met, I guess cases like this, you just get freed. Interesting. Or they drop charges. The charges that weren't dropped. He's still oh, facing geez. murder. Yeah, he's still facing murder what charges. Heck? 
Which is even more fucked up. So we're just going to let him roam around. Right. No bail, no nothing. Just out. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, that's that's odd. Very odd. All of this is happening as police are still searching for the second suspect, James Kellum. In August of 1983, he was finally arrested in Knightstown after police got a tip that he was in the area. He was just casually driving around with his girlfriend and got pulled over and got arrested. This crime ring needs to be more careful about who they let in their circle because everybody is snitching. Yeah, (laughs) nobody, nobody is safe. Callum's trial was set for late October. Two weeks before he was set to appear in court, the charges against his alleged co-conspirator, Ronald Tomsick, were dropped. The only thing the state had to say was that they were investigating the case further. And then on October 26th, charges against Callum were also dropped. So when it came down to it, the Hendricks County prosecutor said they didn't have enough evidence to convict either men of the crime. They had enough to arrest them, but they didn't think that their case was strong enough to convict them. Prosecutors said there was potential the men could be charged again at a later date if more evidence came into play, as there is no statute of limitations in murder cases. Well, at least that's something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Uh, it hurts like it really just goes downhill from here because like police said they would reopen the case and they did but it's still open to this day Mm -hmm. in 2016 norma did a sit-down interview with wish tv where she said police botched the investigation i would agree from what you've told me so far (laughs) Hendricks County officials and state police stand by the fact that there's not enough evidence in the case. Wish TV obtained court records that revealed the informant was a woman. I don't know if this slipped, but they they put in the thing that the informant, da da da, and then they put she. Ooh, uh oh. <laughs> so I don't know if that was an accident or. They were just saying she was a woman, but she said the two men confessed to the crime to her and asked for her help. She said she was forced to clean their bloody clothes. She also claimed to be in possession of Marianne's rings, which had also been washed to remove any traces of evidence. The informant also claims the men removed Tim's body from a barrel after learning about the discovery of Marianne's body, which would explain why Timothy's body has never been found to this day. According to Wish TV, recent DNA testing around the time of the interview in 2016 could not link the men to 10 pieces of evidence that had been submitted to the state's crime lab. The former prosecutor on this case declined to be interviewed. He said he couldn't remember all the details okay. of the case. And But he did say he didn't fully trust the informant's story and didn't feel that they had enough of a case to move forward for the trial. Yeah. yeah. Last year, WTHR did a really sweet interview with Donna McIntyre, one of Marianne's classmates at Plainfield High School. She had a portrait drawn for Norma of what Marianne might look like today. That was based on some of her, like, last photos of her. In the drawing, Marianne still has beautiful, long, straight hair. Her face is just, like, aged a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was really beautiful. And it's really sweet. Yeah. Donna's goal for this story was to draw attention back to the cold case that 
is still unsolved. She said, quote, I hope that it gives Miss Higginbotham some peace to know that Marianne's memory still lives on and that we won't let her be forgotten. Yeah. In the interview with WTHR, Norma said she still sleeps with Marianne's high school picture on her bedside table. While she doesn't believe anymore that Timothy killed her daughter, she does believe that he is the reason she is dead. Maybe. Inadvertently, yes, maybe. Yeah. This past June marked 44 years since Marianne's death. Donna told WTHR that the current Hendricks County prosecutor plans to submit some of the evidence found with Marianne's body for further DNA testing, but I haven't seen any updates on that. And that was the most recent story I could find on the case. It's really unfortunate that this is where things stand today because... In my opinion, I do think that Ronald and James were likely responsible for or involved in Marianne and Timothy's deaths. I also Mm -hmm. think it's really sad that Timothy's death got lost in all of this. I recognize he made mistakes. He had a criminal record, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't as much of a victim as Marianne. Right. If he is. Yeah. My personal belief is that he was also killed. Yeah, that, I mean, that's where I kind of stand too. But it, what makes me what makes me pause about the two guys is that they didn't match ten DNA on ten of the items. But the DNA, I don't have a lot of information. I don't know if that DNA could be. It could be anything. Tim- yeah, it could be that's Timothy's. That's true. And just Ugh. because his DNA is on her stuff doesn't mean he killed her either. They live together. Like, they're, it's, DNA can be so tricky sometimes. I know. It'd be interesting to see if the prosecutor said he didn't really trust the informant. I mean, I would be demanding from the informant, like, where are those rings? Where yeah. are the clothes? Yeah. Based on that informant information, it sounds like the blackmail of it all really sent them, which... I mean, if you were stealing cars and, like, running a crime ring and someone's right. threatening you and blackmailing you for money, that seems like tale as old as time in murder. Right. Motive. Money's the motive. Yeah. And not getting caught. But, yeah, I mean, from the very first five minutes of this story, I was like, this is some sort of crime hit. Yeah. Because it's body in a barrel, rolled in a car. The barrel, the barrel of it all also really, like, gets me. Shot in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. So, I do find it shocking that in our years of working in the indie market, I had never heard about this case. I think, yeah, either. I think a big reason the news coverage dropped off is because there wasn't enough evidence to convict Ronald and James and that doesn't mean that they didn't do it but after they were released it didn't seem like police had much more to go off of yeah they already had moved away from Timothy being a suspect and so it's like who else right and I guess to police it didn't seem like well I mean I would think there are potentially more people at risk if there's a crime ring that has a bunch of people involved like this could happen again so I don't know I mean yeah hopefully with the 45 years coming up maybe we can pitch it to some of the indie stations and yeah get some maybe traction and yeah next next June June 2024 yeah. will be 45 years so yeah because we love news loves anniversaries so I that know. would be a good a good time to bring that back up and I mean with today's advances in DNA anything could happen. 
literally. I would hope that they would be able to get something from DNA. I think that what's working against them is the fact that she was in a barrel, a contaminated barrel, that was also in the water. The one thing I keep thinking about is because Timothy did have such a record and was involved with a lot of other criminals, I think that puts him in a bad position to be tied up with people who have motive to kill him yeah and then she's with him collateral damage I don't know the one thing that the informant said that really stuck out to me was about them moving the body because Timothy's body's never been found and if it was in another barrel in that creek they would have found it they would have found another barrel that's true yeah that 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 part of the story does make sense Uh, It just feels like we have a lot of pieces that could potentially solve this case. And it seems like a bunch of people are talking, like the informant and then whoever tipped police off that the second guy was in Knightstown. And if anything involves a group of people, you have people that are going to talk no matter how loyal they are. So maybe it will take as much as news running the story again. And then somebody that was involved back then was like, oh, shoot, now I forgot, like I've pushed this all behind me and now it's back again. So maybe I'll say something that I didn't say to police before. Yeah. Uh, And like you said, it's a messy, messy, messy case and investigation. And it's hard for journalists to want to step into that and then try to figure it out yeah so it's not like an easy story to do and I do I will say I do believe that Norma filed a police report I I do believe her she seems to have been the only advocate that Mm -hmm. throughout the articles that was like really fighting for answers I didn't see anything about his family maybe that is really murky water to navigate considering they don't know where he is or what happened to him or if i saw norma said in an article that marianne's friends said that timothy was mean to her Mm -hmm. but she said that marianne never said anything about anything bad about their relationship which doesn't yeah you know like he could have been mean to her but it doesn't mean he killed her or it could mean he did we just don't know Uh because i think if they ever find his body they would crack the case open I don't know what you think, but in my opinion, I think those fuckers got off. I think so. Yeah. I mean, even if they didn't actually do it, they had knowledge of it, I believe. Yeah. They knew if they weren't the ones who did it, they they knew the people who did. And the fact that he worked at an auto shop and an em- co-worker threatened him and these people were in an auto crime gang, like... That's all too coincidental to not put together, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, now I just want to call the sheriff's office. <laughs> you never call me back, though. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, good job. That was very interesting. And My head hurts. I'm kind of yeah. happy to be done with this one. Yeah. Uh, I just want to solve all of these. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this case, I got my information from Indiana State Police, The Republic, 
The Times Mail, the Indianapolis News, the Reporter Times, the Star Press, the Indy Star, Wish TV, and WTHR. You can find a list of our sources in the show notes. Please be sure to check them out. Bye! Bye! Did you know New York City has its own ant called the Manhattan? It's like a species of ant? Yeah, it's a species of ant they've only found in New York City. Like, they've compared it with 13,000 other species of ants, and it's only in New York City. I hate that. (laughs) I also hate the name. Manhattan. It's so corny. I love it. That was according to the Smithsonian, so I checked to make sure that that was a real fact. Oh my gosh. Bye.